Well, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Lord willing, next Sunday uh, will be our last Sunday in this letter uh, as we finish up. But today we'll pick up with Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren. Now, sometimes Paul says finally, and he doesn't mean it. He writes a whole lot more, but he means it this time. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your waist, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18, praying always. And that's where we'll stop today. This is the holy, infallible, inerrant word of God. We've been looking at for several weeks now this idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And Paul gave the command back in chapter 5, verse 18, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a command that's given to every child of God. You have received the Holy Spirit because you've been born again, if you're a Christian. But you have this command, this uh, responsibility to daily seek to be filled with the Spirit of God, to be fully surrendered, fully yielded to His control, to have God say, uh, be what leads your life and what has uh, authority in your life. And we've talked about how that relates to all the relationships uh, in the home and those closest to us, wives and husbands, wives submitting to their husbands, husbands loving their wives, children obeying their parents, fathers uh, raising their children, loving them, nurturing them, bringing them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. We looked in Paul's context of servants to masters. Uh, how that the servants were to submit to their masters and the masters who were, were to treat their servants well, uh, just as they have a master in heaven. And considering all that, he comes around in this part of chapter 6 and he says, finally, there's one more implication or one more application uh, for being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the reality is this, we must be, as Christians, filled with the Holy Spirit because we are engaged in a spiritual war. We are engaged in a spiritual war. And we see that in Paul's writings and throughout the New Testament. He told Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.18, he says, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Timothy being a young pastor coming up behind Paul, being taught by him, he gives them this command. He wants him to be able to wage the good warfare. In his next letter to Timothy, he said, You therefore must endure hardships as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 
No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. The Christian life and Christian uh, living is described as being a soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a hymn in our, our book. We don't sing it often. It's not always everybody's favorite, but you know, onward Christian soldiers. We don't think of ourselves that way. We like to think rather as the children of God, which we are, servants of Jesus Christ, which we are, but you're a soldier. You're in, engaged in war. You're engaged in a fight. And Paul himself said at the end of his life, he said, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. I have what? Fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. Even Paul, looking back over his own life and his own ministry, in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, he recognized that he had been engaged in a fight. And at the end of his life, he was able to say, I have fought the good fight. Now, if, if your experience of the Christian life isn't a battle, if your experience of the Christian life isn't war, then it may be worth asking, and only God can see what's in your heart. It may be worth asking if we're doing anything that's worthy of Satan fighting against. If we're not being pushed against, if we're not being opposed in the work of God, we really need to step back and ask ourselves, are we really engaging in what God has called us to be a part of? Because if you're going to live for the Lord, if you're going to serve God in any meaningful way, listen up, expect a fight. Expect a fight. Anytime you decide that you're going to recommit to spending time with the Lord daily in the word and in prayer, expect opposition to that. Expect people to get in your way. Expect people to crowd your schedule. Expect to get depressed or sad or get sick even sometimes. Expect a fight if you commit to living for and loving the Lord. And so as we look at this passage here, I want you to know some things about spiritual war. There are some things that you need to know about this war that we're engaged in. And the first is this. You need to know where your strength comes from. You need to know where your strength comes from. Verse 10, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You see, Paul's already prayed for the Ephesians that, that they would be strengthened. Back in chapter 1, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, verse 19, that you may know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. In chapter 3, verse 16, he prayed that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. So Paul has already been praying for this church. He's been praying for these Christians in Ephesus, as we've seen. And he comes around to the end and he gives the command, be strong in the Lord. Be strong. It's an imperative, but it's another one of those weird passive imperatives. It's a, it means to be strengthened. It is an imperative, so it means that it's a command. It's something God's called you to do. Be strong, but it's passive in the sense that it's something that has to come from outside of yourself. 
It's something that is beyond your own ability. You can't give yourself the strength that you need to be able to stand in a spiritual war. The command to be strong is a command to come and get strength from the source of strength. He says, be strong in the Lord. And who or what's the source? He says, be strong in the Lord which fits the rest of the letter that we've read so far, because everything that we have, everything that we are is in whom? In Christ. You were chosen in him, right? You were redeemed in him. You have assurance in him. You, everything you have in your relationship with the Lord, you have it because you are in Christ. You are united to him by the Holy Spirit. And so it, it just goes in line with the rest of the letter that he says, be strong in the Lord. In him, you have to draw your strength from your relationship, your union with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says to do it in the power of his might. You could say it this way. Get your strength from the strength of his strength. Get your strength from the strength of his strength. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul said this. He said concerning this thing, this thorn in the flesh, you remember Paul had. We don't know what it was. But whatever this problem that he had to deal with, he says, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And what did Jesus say to him? My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. That's what Jesus says. So Paul concludes, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities. How many of you have infirmities? Have things that hold you back from doing everything that you want to do. Everybody's got something. you got something that stands in your way. But Paul says, I will boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities. I won't ask for a raise of hands. How many of you take pleasure in your infirmities? Paul says, I take pleasure in my infirmities. Why? In my infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, he is strong. You see, God puts his power, his strength on display the most brightly when we're weak. How many of y'all got Christmas lights on your house? Y'all a bunch of boring, sad Grinches. What's wrong with you? Like my kid was one of the ones who raised his hand. It's my house. Put some lights up this week, okay? Celebrate. You know, I'd leave them on all day long, but what's the problem with that? Can't really see them in the daylight because there's a other light that's brighter. It drowns it out. They're faded in the light of the sun in the day. But when the sun goes down and the, it's dark all around, those lights on the house, they shine brightly. Last night, driving through the fog and the rain, those lights were just blazing in the reflection of the water and off the road. You know, you're about to wreck and kill somebody, you know, because they're so bright. That's the way it is with your own strength from God. You see, when you're strong, when you feel confident in yourself and you're standing firm, you don't really think too much of God's strength because you're self-reliant. 
but you can take pleasure in. You can rejoice in your infirmities, in your needs, even in your persecutions, because whenever you are at your weakest, whenever you are in the dark, his light, his strength shines the brightest. So he gives this command, be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. Know where your strength comes from, because if you go into spiritual battle and try to live for, love, serve the Lord in your own strength, you're going to fail. You will be knocked down. Stand strong. Be strong in the Lord. Second thing is know who your enemy is. Know who your enemy is. Verse 11 it says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That word wiles, it's just an old word. It means schemes, trickery. And the word devil, it's an interesting one that Paul uses here, um, diabolos. It, it literally means a false accuser, a slanderer. Paul for these last five and a half chapters that we've studied, has been preaching to you, convincing you about who you are in Christ. He's been trying to tell you the truth about who you are, that you are in Christ, chosen, redeemed, guaranteed a spot in heaven with the Father. And then after all of that, he comes along and he names our enemy and he calls him the devil, false accuser, slanderer. That ought to tell you something about the devil's tactics against some Christians. One of the things that he strives to do is to make you forget who you are. Now, I'm not out here just to boost your ego and make you feel good about yourself. You know me well enough. No, that's not my goal up here. But if you're a Christian, you need to know who you are in Christ. You need to know that you are strong in the Lord. And Satan comes along, the old devil, the slanderer, the false accuser comes along and says, you're nothing. And what's your response? Yeah, you're right. I'm nothing. But in Christ, I have everything. This is who you are. Knowing who you are in Christ will cause you to live a certain way. So watch out for the schemes of the slanderer who would cause you to forget who you are in Christ and use his deception to tear you down. Verse 12, he says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That would save a lot of homes. That would save a lot of uh, marriages. That would save a lot of churches if we would just remember that one thing, that we do not wrestle. Our struggle is not against flesh and and blood. No mere man or woman is your enemy ultimately. You're mad at your husband. You're mad at your wife. They are not your enemy. But there is an enemy who would like for you to think they are. Somebody in church does you wrong. Somebody in church does something you don't like. You're mad at somebody across the aisle. I don't mean to make eye contact with anybody. I don't know anything. You get mad at somebody, that person is not your enemy. You don't like something the preacher did up front. I know this is self-serving. I am not your enemy. You are not my enemy. But we have an enemy who would very much like for you to think that we are each other's enemy. But remember this, these words of Paul, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. I got flesh and blood. You got flesh and blood. We're not enemies. 
If you're a child of God, we are brothers. We are sisters in him. We are united by the same Holy Spirit. We are not enemies. So we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. If you look around at church or at home and you see an enemy, Satan's having his way. Because he wants you to see your brothers and your sisters and your spouse and other Christians as the enemy and not recognize that he's the one at work. But our real enemy is the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So I want you to know this about Satan. He's not omnipotent. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. He's not like God. It is not some grand struggle between God and Satan. It's not even a close match. God is having his way. Even the devil, Martin Luther said, is God's devil. He's on a leash. He can only go so far. He's not everywhere. He doesn't know everything. And he's not all powerful. So he needs help. So some suggest that this, what's listed here in verse 12, this principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of the sage, spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Some people have suggested that this is some kind of hierarchy or rankings among demonic beings. Maybe. I never asked one. Maybe it is. But here's what we know. Here's what we know for sure. There is a spiritual army that we cannot see. That seeks to propagate sin and wickedness all throughout the world to do the will, will of Satan and to either destroy the church or to at least render it inoperative. We have enemies, but they're not enemies that we can see. Friends, if you could see everything that's going on in the spiritual realm, I know this is weird stuff to talk about. We don't talk about this in the 21st century. But if you could see everything that's actually going on in the spiritual realm, you'd crawl up under your bed and never open your eyes again. There is a battle going on. War is being waged, but it's not with the flesh and blood around you. It's spiritual wickedness in the heavenly places, Paul says. So know your enemy. Know your enemy. And then thirdly, know this. Know how to stand firm. Know how to stand firm. You see, our enemy is spiritual, so our weapons, our defense must also be spiritual. 2 Corinthians 10, Paul says, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. What is it to war according to the flesh? You grab a gun, right? It's not going to help you. For the weapons of our warfare, Paul says, are not carnal, they're not of the flesh, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity, into the obedience of Christ. The weapons of our warfare are spiritual. And Paul outlines that for us here in what we know as the armor of God. 
Verse 13, he says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand with, with, to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. We must be dressed in the whole armor of God. Now, I'll just say, when we go through these things in just a minute, you don't get to pick and choose which ones you're going to use. Well, I'm going to do this one well, and maybe somebody else will do that one well, and together we can really stand. No, every individual Christian must put on the whole armor of God. No options. You lack in any one of these, you're susceptible to attack. But if we are dressed in God's armor, following his instructions, let me assure you of this, we will be able to stand in the evil day. Well, what's the evil day? Today, tomorrow, the day after that, and following. The world that we live in every day is an evil day. And every day, you need to be able to put on the whole armor of God and be ready to stand. And if you do, you will stand. Any day that Satan or his demons attack you, that's an evil day. And you will stand. Guaranteed. 1 John 4, John says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You don't have to fear attacks from Satan because if you are born again, you have the Holy Spirit and greater is he that is in you, God the Spirit, than he who is in the world, Satan and his demons. James said it this way, he says, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. If you are living in submission to God, filled with the Holy Spirit, wearing the whole armor of God, you will stand. You will stand. So what is the armor of God? What are the pieces that God gives you uh, that you need to appropriate in your life? And here he gives them. Verse 14, he says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. To gird your waist, basically put your belt on. You know, the clothes that they wore were kind of baggy, you know, flopped around a lot. If you're in a fight, that's, that's going to hinder you. So what do you do? Tighten up. Gird your waist with what? Truth. In order to stand in the fight with the enemy, you must be totally committed to truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus himself is the truth. He says this, the truth will set you free. The thing that holds everything else together is a commitment, an understanding of the truth. You see, we can go out into the world and hear people's stories, and we can hear people tell sad tales, and our emotions be stirred, and our emotions be moved, and we start to sympathize with those who are living in sin, and to begin to condone their sin. But we can't be driven by our emotions. We can't be controlled by how we feel. We must be totally, firmly committed to what is true, regardless of how it makes anybody feel. Now, speak the truth in love. We've already talked about that. But we must be firmly committed to the truth. He says, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. 
Now, you know the breastplate. That's the thing that covers all your vital organs. That's a really important piece of armor. But Paul says to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, he's writing this to Christians, people who are born again. So I'm not talking about that imputed righteousness that you received when you were born again. When you were saved, you received the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You have a perfect standing with God the Father in heaven. And when you stand before him, he doesn't look at you and see your sin. He doesn't see your failures. He looks at you and he sees the righteousness, the goodness of his only begotten son, Jesus. Praise God for that. But that's not what he's talking about here. He says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. He means the practical outworking of righteousness in your life. Don't let sin creep into your life. Don't give in to the temptations, the desires, the lusts of the flesh. Because if you let sin have its way in you, you become susceptible to attacks from the enemy. There is nothing that will hinder you in your walk with the Lord and nothing that makes you more vulnerable to the attacks of Satan than giving in to sin and to the lusts of the flesh. So he says to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Live righteously. Live a holy life before God. Be rid of your sin. He says in verse 15, and having, your, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now the shoes that might have been worn by a Roman soldier, they were these nice sandals. They had little spikes in the bottom and they, they did their job. They helped them to stand firm, also allowed them to run long distances to pursue an enemy. And friends, the gospel of peace, the gospel of peace is what will help you to stand firm in the battle but it's also the gospel of peace that we run with and that we carry into the lost world. Part of your armor, part of your preparation to stand against the attacks of Satan is to be prepared with the gospel of peace. How many of you have ever been through an evangelism training, a how to share the gospel kind of class? Most Christians have at least been through a class, right? Did that class really prepare you to do that? To some degree, I hope that it did. You at least have a method, a system of how to do it, some way to think about it logically in your mind when you're having a conversation. But friends, in order to stand against the enemy, we need to be able to stand firm in the gospel of peace, but we need to be ready to go forward with the gospel of peace. You see, our, our place in this war is not just a defensive position. We must go out with the gospel and drive the darkness back with the light. Satan is our enemy. We're not chasing down enemies to bring them in as captives, but we're going out to reach people with the gospel of Jesus so that they can come in and be part of the family. There's nothing that is stronger against the powers of Satan than the gospel of peace, and it is a gospel of peace. We had, a, we had our Advent reading this morning about peace. Jesus is the prince of peace. That's what he came to do, to make peace between us and God. Because we are enemies of God by nature. We're in our sin. We're, we're headed to hell because of our, our sin and our rebellion. We're at war with God. But Jesus comes and he takes our place. He takes our punishment on himself and he makes peace through the blood of his cross. 
in dying for us and rising from the dead. He forgives us. He gives us a right standing with God. And we've enjoyed that message. We've received that message. We've reaped the benefits of salvation. And now part of our stand against the enemy is to take that message to others around us. So he says, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Be ready to share the gospel. He says in verse 16, above all, or in addition to all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. There's a couple of different kinds of shields. Um, you've got the small one, the little round one, you know, something like Captain America would use. That's not this. This is the, the wide, big rectangle that you could hide your whole body behind. That's the kind of shield I would want in a battle. Have the shield of what? Faith. With which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. When you are under attack by Satan, when you are under attack spiritually, your greatest defense is faith. Now, we can talk about faith, and people are people of faith, and everybody has faith, right? Faith in what? Faith in whom? It's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith in his word. It's believing that what God has said is true. It's faith that, and trusting that what Jesus said he would do, he will do. It's trusting that when he says you have a helper, you have a comforter in the Holy Spirit, that you really do and you depend on him. When he says that my way is better and that in, in, in my house, in my place, there's joy, there's peace forevermore. You believe that and you say, yeah, I'm going this way. I'm not going to give in to that sin. I'm not going to go that way because Satan is a deceiver. He's a slanderer. He's a liar. My trust, my faith is in Jesus and what he has said. He says in verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. Take the helmet of salvation. This isn't the being saved part. Again, he's writing to Christians. This is what I think he, he writes to the Thessalonians in sort of a parallel passage. He talks about the helmet of the hope of salvation. You put on the, the helmet of the hope of salvation. That you rest in what God has done for you. You rest in the salvation that is yours. You have peace. You have safety. You have assurance that you belong to God. And you take refuge in him simply believing that you are who he says you are. And that if you've put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you're his child and that he's with you all the way. You rest in the hope of salvation. The hope of salvation knowing that one day this battle will be over and we will be with him for all eternity. Rest in that hope of salvation. He says, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Spirit-empowered Word of God. Now, sword is used for two means, defense and offense. And the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. When Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, every time he received a temptation, he heard a temptation from Satan, what did he say? It is written. He didn't come and oppose Satan 
saying, you're ridiculous, get out of here. No, he said, it is written. Your one weapon of attack in the spiritual battle is the spirit-empowered word of God. You can't stand and fight if you don't know what's in this book. You can't know what's in this book unless you open it and read it and immerse yourself in it. This is our weapon. This is how we stand. This is how we fight the enemy. And the word of God, when it's empowered by the spirit of God, will accomplish everything that God intends. He says that his word will not go out empty. So hide his word in your heart. Make it a lamp to your feet, a light to your path. Tuck it away so that the Holy Spirit can bring it to your mind in times that you need it. It's amazing how that I could have memorized scripture in the past or read something in the past. And if you asked me to recite it for you on the fly, I probably couldn't do it. But then in a moment of need, when I come under an attack from Satan, how it just comes right back to mind. Who does that? The Holy Spirit. This is not your sword. This is the sword of the Spirit. It's the sword that he uses in and through your life. The word of God. And then in verse 18, we'll just look at these first two words. We'll pick it up there next week. Praying always. Praying always. He doesn't associate this with a piece of armor, but I imagine if you go into battle, you know what you're going to be doing? <laughs> you're going to be praying. Why? Because you don't have anything in yourself. You are entirely dependent on God. And how do we express that? Through prayer. Why is it that it's our last resort when we've tried everything else and it has failed? Friends, if first we would go to our knees, say, God, I need you. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Enable me, equip me to put on the whole armor of God that I may be able to stand against the evil day. He wants to answer prayers like that. So go there first. Let me assure you of this. We, we, may, we must fight many battles. Uh, if you're a Christian and you're walking with the Lord, you love him and you're obeying him, you will face many battles. But we are guaranteed victory through Jesus who has already conquered sin and Satan. See, when Jesus went to the cross and he took the punishment for your sins, he bore the wrath of God in your behalf. Just before he died, he said three words in English. <laughs> he didn't say them in English. It is finished. It's done. He has conquered. He has overcome. And the overcoming, the conquering lamb, has sent his spirit to dwell in your hearts who have received him by faith. He will be with you. He will walk with you. He will fight for you when you stand against the enemy. And you are guaranteed victory. Put on the whole armor of God. Would you bow with me for prayer? Our Father, we, we so desperately need you. We face attacks on every side. Sometimes the night seems dark and the day will never come. 
but Lord, you are with us. You have equipped us with everything that we need to stand, to stand firm, and not just defend ourselves against Satan's attacks, but to go out and to proclaim the message of the gospel of peace, to preach the word of God and drive back the darkness, to drive back the work of Satan. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Move us to engage in this battle. Let none of us sit on the sidelines. Let none of us be disengaged. But stir each one up to love and good works. And you will help us to stand. In Jesus' name, amen.